0: The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit www.jacobswellgb.org. Today we are going to focus on the topic of believing. Okay? If 2 days ago, I know not all of you are sports fans, but if 2 days ago I told you that the 7 and 5 Badgers we're going to beat the Nebraska Cornhuskers and score 70 points on them. How many of you would have believed it? Raise your hand. You are such a liar. I sure hope you're not an elder. That would be really bad. <laughs> if I if I said if I said Wisconsin was going to score 70 points on Nebraska, you probably would have asked me what sport, right? You would have said basketball, and that would even be a stretch for Wisconsin basketball. But all right, they. They win a lot. They just don't score a lot, right? They're fundamental. All right. Now that I've made enemies across the board, we're talking about believing. What do you believe in? How, to what degree do you believe? Would you have bet your house that the Badgers would score 70 points? I certainly hope not, although today you look like a genius. But what does it mean to believe? Well, if you look up the uh, the definition you have a lot of synonyms that go with it. And I think they're helpful in us understanding what it means to believe in something. To believe means to have faith in something, to trust in something, to put your confidence in something or someone. Let me give you this example. I think is a great illustration of belief. There was once a tightrope artist, I guess you would call it, a tightroper, uh, who was famous in Europe. And his, 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 his show is that he would walk across this tightrope between buildings or between different things, and then he would put a blindfold on and he would walk across that tightrope again. And then with the blindfold on, he would, he would push a wheelbarrow across the tightrope. So it was an amazing act. Well, an American promoter got word of this, and he said, you know what, I'd pay you a lot of money to come over and to do that across the Niagara Falls. He said, I don't believe you can do it. Maybe he was just egging him on, I don't know. But he said, I don't believe you can do it, but I'll give you a lot of money if you come and you do your act across the Niagara Falls. So the man was excited. He came over and he started on the Canadian side and he, he walked across the tightrope and then he walked across the tightrope with the blindfold on. And then he came to the promoter and he said, do you believe I can walk across this tightrope? And the promoter said, yeah, I believe it. You just did it. It's, it's amazing. He goes, no, do you really believe I can do it? The promoter says, yes. No, no, do you really, really, really believe I can walk across this tightrope? And the promoter said, yes, I believe you can walk across this tightrope. And so the man says, get in the wheelbarrow. See, there's different degrees of belief, isn't there? <laughs> There's, there's believing from a sight, sort of external, intellectual, and then there is a believing in which you stake your life on that belief. We're going to look at these different levels of belief today. If you would open up to John chapter 4. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the back. There are red Bibles. You might want to grab one real quick. We're going to be looking at it quite a bit. John 4 verse 43. And the red Bible, is page 889. Um, I think we have a map up here just as we start to look at this passage. See if my my laser pointer is working a little bit. So if you remember, Jesus was in Judea. uh, And then the last few weeks, he was in Sychar uh, talking to the Samaritans. And now he's coming up to Cana in Galilee. Here's Nazareth, which we'll talk about today. This is where he was born um, and where he was raised. Sorry, not where he was born. Uh, He was born in Bethlehem. He was raised in Nazareth. Uh, but he comes to Cana, and we'll talk a little bit why he goes there instead today. But this gives you a little bit of a picture of what's happening. So let's look John 4, verse 43. He's in Samaria. It says, After the two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. For they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Canaan in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there, were, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders At the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Let's pray. God, we come to your holy word today, Lord. It is good and it is profitable Lord, there is no accident that we are studying this passage this day and we are in this state area together, Lord God. Lord, you have something to teach all of us from this passage. Give us open hearts to hear, open hearts hearts to learn, to be molded, and to be conformed into the image of Jesus. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. As I had mentioned, there are different degrees of belief, different degrees of faith, and we see a couple here, and we're going to kind of just work through them, all right? So let's start with the first. The first is a historical belief, believing in a historical Jesus. This belief basically says, yes, we believe that Jesus existed, that he was a teacher, that he was a rabbi, that he had some really good teachings, But we really don't think he did anything too miraculous. We don't really see him as a savior, as a substitutionary sacrifice for our sins. He's more just of a historical figure, an amazing man, yes, but not God. There's an example of this, something called the Jesus Seminar. Some of you may have heard of it. It took place in the 80s and 90s, and there was a collection of 150 scholars, and they got together, and they looked at 500 of Jesus's statements and his miracles and his acts and they looked at these and they took them one by one and they decided if they believed that they were true or not because they were looking for the real historical Jesus. You often see this in like PBS or the History Channel, right? We're looking for the real historical Jesus and so they had these different beads that they would cast depending on how reliable they thought that passage was. If they cast a red bead, it would indicate that they do indeed believe that Jesus said what he said or did what he did in that passage. A pink bead means that they thought Jesus probably said or did something similar to this, but not exactly what is written. A gray bead would have indicated that Jesus did not say what was in the passage, but it came from the content of his messages. And then the black bead meant that it came from a completely different source. And so they would walk through these 500 different uh, uh, sayings and experiences with Jesus, and they would cast these beads, deciding what was true and what was not true, in search of the historical Jesus. Well, by the end of it, um, Jesus did no miracles at all. (laughs) The book of John was almost completely thrown out of the picture. And so they completely dismantled Christianity. They said, Jesus is not God. Jesus did not die for sinners. Jesus did not even raise from the dead. What people saw were just visions in their head. It wasn't a physical, tangible Jesus, no matter what is said about Thomas. And so they just looked and they saw a historical Jesus. You know, as we look at this passage, there is nothing new under the sun. Even when Jesus was around Even when people saw the things that he did, heard from his lips the things that he said, they still only believed Jesus was a good teacher. When you look in verse 44 of our passage, it says, For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. You know, we talked about why was it that Jesus did not go, you know, Jesus was going back to his region, to the region of Galilee. It would be like coming back to Wisconsin for you. And he decided, you know, I'm not going to go back to my hometown because in my hometown, I have no honor. And this is actually expressed in all three of the Gospels where in Nazareth, he's preaching. And and they say, and, and, and as part of his preaching in the synagogue, he tells them that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. I want to look at one of these passages with you. It's Matthew 13, verse 53 through 58. You can read along with me on the screen Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him because Jesus said to them, "A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household." And he did not do many mighty works there, why? Because of their unbelief. It's amazing these men who were around Jesus. They recognized his astonishing wisdom. You know, even today we can recognize Jesus' astonishing wisdom. No matter what you believe about Jesus, you hear of his teachings all the time. You hear the golden rule, right? Do unto others. That comes from Jesus. And so his teachings, even though he only taught for three and a half years, penetrate society. It has influenced philosophers, it's influenced artists, it's influenced society as a whole. And he only taught for three and a half years. And so his wisdom. It's very apparent and it's very astonishing for a man who only taught for three or a little more years. It goes on and we see that these men not only acknowledge his astonishing wisdom, but they also acknowledge his astonishing works. I'm not sure what he did amongst them or what they heard he did in Jerusalem, but they thought what he did was very amazing. Maybe he was a magician or some sort of magical healer. But they 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 were astonished by what he did. We too can see the works of Jesus. I don't know if you remember, but back in John one, one verse three, we read that all things were made through Jesus, and without Jesus was nothing was not anything made that was made. And so we see the works of Jesus all around us as we look at creation. And yet there are some of us here and many in the world who look and say, you know what, Jesus is only a historical figure. And that is their belief system. That is their viewpoint. And it was here in Nazareth as well. You know, we still see this today. I don't know um, if you've ever experienced this. You know, many of you hold positions of of power or rank in your business. And yet when you get around family, when you get around hometown, you get taken down a few notches, right? Right. I I was reminded of this at Thanksgiving. You know, here, I'm Pastor Dan, right? I get a little bit of respect from people. But when I get home and I get around my family and I'm the youngest of five kids, I'm Danny, right? I'm Danny. Only to them, not to you. I think I've warned you about that before. But I'm Danny. And and I still remember even Corbin and Caleb said, no, no, it's Pastor Dan. And, And my brothers and sisters just started laughing, right, like, Pastor Dan, I changed this kid's diapers. He can't be a pastor, right? Jesus was just so human. You know, they they coached him on the little league team growing up. They they taught him in school. They they taught him how to do carpentry. He was a blue collared factory worker. How could this be anything more than just a man? How could this just be a historical person? A rabbi a teacher. And so one view of Jesus, one belief of Jesus is that he is just a historical figure. He is a historical man, nothing more. A good man, but just a historical man. The second belief system is that Jesus is like a genie. And so I just put genie Jesus. Look in verse 45 with me. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him having seen all that he had do- all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. For they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water to wine. Okay, again, if you see the map, if I have my little, can you put the map up, Jeremy? We get the map a lot today. Wow, Jason put arrows in there. I didn't know he was going to do that. Here's Cana, where Jesus is. Here's Nazareth. And he goes up to Cana because this is where um, this is. where he. He, uh, he felt, well, he didn't go to Nazareth because he said a prophet is without honor. So he came up to Cana, started to teach. This was the place where he did the miracles, where he turned water into wine. And the people from Cana, the people from Galilee, have heard of the miracles Jesus was doing, had heard of his teaching. It, his fame had spread rapidly. Even though he had done these things down here in Jerusalem, during the Passover, when they had traveled down, his fame had spread rapidly. And so people had come to see Jesus do miraculous things. Now you might read this passage and say, look at their faith. Look how they welcome Jesus. But Jesus sees the hearts of men, we're told in John 2. And he sees that there is something rotten with their faith. And we're going to look at it in a little bit. The passage goes on, middle of verse 46. It says, and at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. All right, Capernaum is up here, and the man had taken about, whoops, go back. There we go. And the man had come about four hours to Cana to to ask Jesus to come and heal his son. Now, the term that's used here for him being an official means that he was a high-ranking official, possibly a king of sorts. And so he had every resource at his disposal, every health care resource at his disposal, and nothing had worked to cure his son. And so in a last act of desperation, he comes to Jesus, this Jewish carpenter from Nazareth, and he comes begging Jesus to come and heal his son. Again, you might look at this. A man traveled four hours to come to Jesus, to beg him to come and heal his son and say, that is genuine, real, wonderful faith. And yet again, Jesus sees his heart, and he issues this rebuke, not only for the man, but also for the Canaanites that are there, the Galileans. Jesus says this in verse 48. Jesus said to them, unless you, and you is plural, so it's unless you all, see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now why does Jesus respond so harshly? The people welcomed him, the rich man journeyed and came to him. Why does he respond so harshly to their faith, to their believing? You see, the problem with their faith was this, is that they were more interested in the miracle than they were in the miracle worker. They were more interested in the healings than in the healer. They were more interested in the signs than in the Savior. They were treating Jesus like a genie. They were treating him like a vending machine where you just put your money in, you hit the right buttons, and out pops what you want. And this, is, this, is, this frustrated Jesus. And because Jesus loves them, he rebukes them. The signs were spo- part, supposed to point to something greater when we look in this passage, there's a Greek word that's used uh, both in 48 and 55. And in verse 48, it's translated signs. But in verse 55, it's translated miracles. Miracles were to be signs, and they were to point to a greater reality. We get this, right? If we're driving down the road and we see a sign, if we see golden arches, we know that it points to a greater reality, right? When you look at your finger, if you see a wedding ring, this is a sign and it points to a greater reality, to a marriage, to a family. You know, if if a family drove up from Florida because they're huge Packer fans and they got to the corner of Lombardi and Oneida, and they got out and they saw a sign that said Lambeau Field, and they stood in front of the sign, and they took pictures, and they turned around and drove home, you would rebuke them too, right? Because they were missing what the sign pointed to. The amazing thing that was just right across the street. These people were coming for the sign, but the sign was to point to the Savior who was right there. When Jesus was in Cana, or excuse me, when Jesus was in Samaria, outside, outside of Sychar, none of the people asked him for a sign. None of them asked him for miracles because their faith, their faith was amazing. They knew that more than anything, they needed a savior. Many of us look to Jesus like a genie. Many people in society do. I think it's something that we all struggle with. Here's how we know by looking at our relationship with Jesus and looking at the authority structure in our relationship with Jesus. Is Jesus here to serve you, although he does? Or are you here to serve Jesus? Is Jesus just here to grant your wishes? Or is he your king? Is he your Lord? Is he able to cross your will? Is he able to guide you down paths that you do not want to go? Is he allowed to tell you things that you do not want to hear? Is he allowed to correct things in your life? You know, the nice thing about Genie Jesus is that Genie Jesus never tells you anything you don't want to hear. Genie Jesus would never tell you to love that person. Genie Jesus would never tell you to forgive that person. Genie Jesus would never tell you to give your money generously. Jeannie Jesus would never tell you to love your wife like Christ loves the church. Jeannie Jesus wouldn't tell you anything that's hard. Maybe this is the Jesus you worship. How does Jesus respond to this? Well, he rebukes them and he calls it unbelief. But there is a greater Jesus and a real Jesus which we are called to believe in. This is the Lord Jesus. Verse 49 the official said to him sir come down before my child dies if you look closely at this passage and it's a little bit tricky but there is there's a difference between this man's first request and his second request the man's first request is for Jesus to come and to heal his son his second request is simply to come his first request is for healing for his son His second request is for Jesus, for his son. And so you see this man is transformed. And and we even see the faith in this statement because of the way that Jesus responds. In verse 50, Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. I'm not sure how Jesus said this, but this man had extraordinary faith. He believed what Jesus had said. He believed so concretely that he actually waited a day to go back home. He spent the night. He could have gone back home. It was 1 o'clock in the afternoon. It was a four-hour journey. He could have gone back home. But he thought, you know what? My son is okay. There is no rush for me to get home. I will spend the night and head back in the morning. And so he believed the word Jesus said. And listening to a sermon on this by R.C. Sproul, R.C. Sproul put it this way. He said, Christian life is not about believing in God. It is about believing God. Christian life is not about believing in God. It is about believing God. Believing what he says is true and holding on to that and putting yourself in dependence upon those promises. Now, you might be here saying, you know, I'm a sophisticated person. I'm an intelligent person. I only believe what I can see. I do not believe out of blind faith like this man did, right? He believed Jesus healed his son, even though he couldn't see it. I have to see it to believe it. The reality is, is that we all have blind faith. Not unintelligent faith, but blind faith. You exhibited blind faith many times, even just this morning. If you took a shower this morning, which I hope you did, But if you took a shower this morning, when you turned on the hot water, you believed that it was going to put out hot water. You couldn't see. You didn't go down in your basement and investigate and make sure the hot water heater was on. You just turned it on. When you got in your car, you believed that the battery would start the engine. You had a good rationale for believing, but it was still a blind faith. You didn't take out chargers and test the battery and see if it would start. You just tried to start your engine. When you sat down in the chair that you are in, I doubt that you investigated it highly. You probably just sat down believing that it would hold you up. Now, that's not an intellectual belief, but it's still a blind belief. You are trusting those things. Jesus says, when you believe, it's not because you see You use your head, you start thinking, you process the material, you you understand the facts that point to Christ, but it's still blind. See, faith doesn't start where intellect ends. Faith starts where seeing ends, where you can't see it. And we're called to believe in Jesus blindly, not unintellectually, but blindly. 2 Corinthians 5-7 puts it this way. It says, we walk by faith, not by sight. It doesn't say we walk by faith and not by reason or intellect, but not by sight. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So you might say seeing is believing. But if you see something, you don't have to believe it because it's right there. That's the facts. When you believe, you're believing. You're putting faith in something that you cannot see. And a God you cannot see. You can see his handiwork all around you. You can see his evidence. But you have to place your faith in him. How many of you here, just show of hands, how many of you have ever seen your brain? Like either physically or on a CAT scan or something. All right, a few of you. How many of you here, this would be impressive, how many of you have actually touched your brain? Anyone? My son has touched his brain. All right, great. (laughs) Good to see it. How many of you believe you have a brain? How many of you use your brain like you should? All right. Some would argue with you, I'm sure. You've never seen it. You've never touched it. But you believe you have a brain because you see evidence of it all the time. Sometimes more than others. But you see evidence of it all the time. And you believe the witness of others who have seen brains in bodies, right? We're called to believe not because it's unintellectual but because we can't see. As we read on, we see this man's blind faith is confirmed. Verse 51. As he was going down, his servant met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him yesterday at the seventh hour when the fever left him. The father knew that the hour when Jesus said to him, your son will live. And he himself believes in all his household. You know, who speaks like this? Who does this? Who can, who can say a word and bring something that is dying to life? Who can, who can speak and bring something that doesn't even exist into life? It's only something that God can do. And you see, Jesus, we, we talked about how miracles are signs to point to a greater reality, right? Right? When Jesus brought this kid back from the point of death and gave him life, it was to point to a greater life that we can have in Jesus Christ. He talked about it earlier with the woman at the well. Do you remember? He said, I have come to give you eternal life. Now, none of us can see that eternal life. None of us can see heaven. But Jesus says, I have come. I have lived the life you should have lived. I have died the death you should have died. I have raised from the dead so that when you die, you can raise to new life again, and you will walk with me. And there will be no more unbelief. And we will be in heaven forever. And there will be no more sick little boys. There will be no more mourning or crying or pain or death because a new order has come. None of us can see that. And yet we are called to believe, not unintelligently, Yet blindly believe that is the hope that we are destined for. You know, John tells us the purpose of the writing of this gospel, of this book in John 20, verse 30. He says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Excuse me. So let me ask you, to what degree do you believe in Jesus? Is Jesus just a historical, feature, a historical figure? A teacher, a rabbi, but nothing more? Is Jesus a genie who is here to grant your wishes, but never confronts your desires? Never leads you a different direction than you want to go? Or is Jesus your Lord? Is he the Christ, the son of God? Is he your savior? Does he bring you eternal life? Does he bring you salvation? Are you willing to get into his wheelbarrow? Are you willing to stake your life upon him? You know, throughout the church, a lot of people have tried to uh, to, to make Jesus more palatable, to make the scriptures more palatable. And so they have twisted Orthodox theology and and heresies has sprung forth. And so the church has constantly had to refute these heresies. In 325, there was a council that gathered together to address these. It was called the Nicene Council. And they put together what they believed to confront these heresies. And it was called the Nicene Creed. And so what I want to do to end this sermon is I want us to declare what we believe. If you're here today and you are not a Christian, I am so glad you're here. I believe, even though I can't see, I believe that God has brought you here for a reason this morning. But I'd ask you, don't don't say these words. We want you to act with integrity. We don't want you to to, to feel pressured into saying these things. But if you're here and you trust in Jesus Christ, join me in, in confessing what the church has confessed for generations, what we confess here at Jacob's Well, what we put our hope in, the wheelbarrow we get into for our hope and for our salvation. If you would stand and let's recite the Nicene Creed together as we confess, as those who trust in Jesus Christ, what we believe. Read along with me We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord. Lord, what a glorious thing it is to confess what we believe, not only in our own hearts, not only as a church as Jacob's will, but to confess it with the believers throughout the church, throughout the centuries, the eternal church of what is true. Lord, we confess that many times we come to you like you are a genie, just to serve us, Lord God. But pray today that you would search our hearts, that you would show us the areas in our life that we are not walking, that we are not living, that we are not loving as you have called us to. And let us submit ourselves to the Lord Jesus. Help us with that, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.